this uh, scripture that was read to you is really uh, a single story. It's part two of a single story. The first part was read last Sunday, and uh, we talked about it where Jesus goes to Nazareth, the place where he had been brought up. And he is in church, in synagogue. He's in the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he takes the scroll from Isaiah, and he reads this scripture. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free proclaim the year of the Lord. And so then in this scripture that was read today, then Jesus sits down and he says, today, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Today, not yesterday, not long ago, not back in the old days, not too late for you, not tomorrow, not someday, not someday when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. But today, says Jesus. And I think we could do a whole sermon series just on today. Today, you, today, the scripture is fulfilled for you. Jesus is in his hometown, back at his home church, among folks he grew up with. One of the most terrifying experiences I ever had was when I graduated from seminary and my home church in my hometown invited me to come back and preach. And, you know, Jesus says a prophet is never accepted in his own hometown. I would paraphrase that to say you'll never impress the people you went to eighth grade with. (laughs) We know who you are. We remember you. Right? Fortunately, that proverb isn't always true, and they, uh, they treated me with such kindness and support. It was probably a terrible sermon, but they were still gracious and kind, and I was thankful for it. Recently, uh, Brendan and I went to dinner with a couple, and the husband began to tell me how exceptional I was as a pastor. And he went on and on, and the whole time my wife is giggling. (laughs) A prophet is never accepted in his own hometown, in his own household. I think Jesus probably said that, but it got left out of the ancient manuscripts for some reason. Exceptional, though, that's a good word to play around with, to toss around in our minds. Exceptional. It's great to be exceptional, right? Now, my almost two-year-old grandson is exceptional, okay? I know you think yours is, but mine really is, okay? He is so smart and kind and sweet and amazing. He's just the smartest kid that was ever born in the history of the world, right? How wonderful it is to be exceptional, right? how we admire people who are exceptional, how we pay people a lot who are exceptional, how we wish we could be exceptional, voted most handsome, class favorite, valedictorian, Oscar winner, best pitcher, salesman of the year, number one draft pick, Super Bowl champion, how nice it is to be exceptional. 
When I was in high school, uh, I was voted the Citizenship Award. Yeah. <laughs> Even then, I understood it as the participation trophy, okay? They ran out of things to uh, award people with, and nobody knew what that meant. Hey, Lumpkin, let's go ahead and give him something. I uh, was not especially exceptional in high school. Nazareth has heard that Joseph's son has become exceptional. The hometown boy has done well. The carpenter's son is suddenly the celebrity of the day. And as he comes back home, there's a certain ambiguity and then uh, downright animosity in the text. On the one hand, they are dazzled by Jesus. He speaks well. Everything he does is well. On the other hand, they're not that impressed. We know who his family is. Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the carpenter? And in Matthew and Mark, it's even a little more harsh. They took offense at him. They are offended by him because he didn't, he's not just doing well. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me. Anointed means Messiah. He is claiming to be the Lord's Messiah. Oh, no. We knew this kid in eighth grade. There's no way. Nazareth struggles with whether he really is exceptional or unexceptional. And as some commentators have pointed out, perhaps it's because they have become so familiar with Jesus that they were blinded to see the possibility of who he really might be. And maybe that would be a sermon as well. How many times have we let Jesus become too familiar? Huh? When has Jesus become too familiar for you? A benign presence, some word we use, a nice guy who loves us. Familiar. How often do we fall on our knees before the Christ, the Word made flesh, the true light of all light, the triune God who created everything and called it into existence, who loves me, yes, but might also challenge me, push me, convict me, judge me, break me? Many years ago, I, I felt like I'd made some choices and my life was kind of heading up a box canyon that I didn't want to be in. And somehow I changed. I felt like I'd become much more calloused and hard-hearted. And one night in my little apartment, I got on my knees and I said, Lord, break my calloused heart. Don't ever pray that prayer. Because God will do it. God will break you if you ask Him. Which I think is what's going on in this scripture. Their hearts have become hard. Their hearts have become calloused. And they are blinded by that which is right in front of them. Jesus uses the scripture to convict them and challenge them of that very thing. Nazareth thinks they are exceptional. And they are. 
They are exceptional. They are Israel. They are the chosen people of God. They are favored by God over all the other nations on earth. Yes, they are exceptional, but in the wrong sort of way. They do not understand what that exceptionalism actually means in the kingdom. Jesus uses their own scripture to challenge them. The story of Elijah who during a terrible famine goes not to any of the chosen, but to the widow of Zephaniah, a Gentile not chosen. During the time of Elisha, there were many lepers in the land, but Elisha goes not to any of the Israelites, but to Naaman, the Syrian, the enemy, the foreigner, the alien. They have not understood their exceptional calling into the world, which causes them to be very angry, and they even attempt to kill the Messiah himself. Who do you think you are? Physician, heal yourself. Jesus is challenging them to claim their exceptionalism, but in the right sort of way. Exceptional not in a superior sort of way, not in the rightness of our position, not that we're the more right and you're the more wrong, but to claim their exceptionalism in sacrificial love for all the world recognizes as unexceptional, unwanted, unneeded, unnoticed, unacceptable. I think maybe I've told this story before, but back when I was a seminary student, I went on a student trip to Israel. And in our group, there was a young woman. She's born in the same year I was. Um, and polio was still a thing. They come out with a vaccine. More and more and more and more people were taking the vaccine, but in that year there were still a few children that were getting polio and she was one of them. Uh, somehow it had kind of stunted her growth. She was about four foot ten and she walked on crutches, but she was so full of life and energy and just everybody thought she was awesome. It was She was not going to let any of that slow her down. So one day we go to Nazareth and they have built this huge modern cathedral on where they think Jesus grew up. And it's beautiful, it's gorgeous, it's very spiritual. And don't laugh, okay, this is very serious, but it was her birthday and that was not a happy day for her because she understood that with polio, she probably would have a shortened lifespan and that it would get worse as the years went by. And so even though as young as she was, a birthday was not the future's bright, but the future might be quite dark. And she was very down. And we, we sat beside each other in this cathedral, and it was like this, about a 60-person men's, Catholic priest men's choir singing, and it just was gorgeous. And I looked over and a tear was coming down her cheek. And I said, look, I said, I, I, this is probably going to sound trivial. I have no idea what it's like for you. I have no idea why you have to go through this and other don't. But it just seems to me, of all the people in our group, 
you're more fit for ministry than any of us. She didn't say anything. I walked out and waited for her outside. Pretty soon she came out and the old fire was back in her eyes and, and she walked out and I said, are you okay? And she hit me with her crutch. <laughs> she said, get out of my way. I've got places to go and things to do. The world would see her as exceptional, but in the wrong sort of way. Handicapped, different, victim. But Jesus would see her as exceptional in the right sort of way. I met her a few years later. It was in the early 90s when the Soviet Union had collapsed and it was just a, a chaotic mess. And she went to Russia to adopt a little girl. And when she got there, she said it was this horrendous orphanage. And she, the little girl had a sister. And they were so traumatized that they, they didn't even speak. They could hardly function. And she could only bring one back. And somehow she begged the authorities, I guess they couldn't say no, to the girl on crutches. She was determined to bring both those girls back. And she did. And was slowly bringing them out of their horrific upbringing to a place of peace and fruitfulness. Who are the folks here today, today, who maybe feel exceptional or unexceptional in the wrong sort of way, our bad decisions, our wrong actions, our poor choices, sins committed, unworthy or worse, apathetic, neither hot nor cold. Who here today needs Messiah, anointed one, today? In the last several years, the United Methodist Church, our denomination, has seriously been considering somehow become the ununited Methodist Church. And it might just happen. As Methodists who are supposed to take our separate points of view and in the name of Jesus walk away from each other. In the name of open-mindedness, we're going to close the doors to half our denomination. Or in the name of spiritual integrity, make disciples of some nations, but not all nations. There are those who are different and they don't belong. And that's how we're going to go, whether you're on one side or the other. And if we do that, then I fear that our witness will become unexceptional. Our witness will become like the world, divided, polarized, ineffective. Am I going to claim to be the exceptional one? I only can manage to make citizenship in high school. Or am I going to reject myself? Am I going to reject the exceptional value that God has given to me and to everyone else? To be blinded at how different might actually be God's design of the universe. 
thought it was interesting. I was reading some of the early church fathers in like the second, third, fourth century. And Ambrose points out that Jesus loved Nazareth. That's why he went there. He didn't reject them. They rejected him. But he still died for them. And it isn't interesting that God, out of all the towns on earth, chose that town to be blessed by the upbringing of Jesus. And that even today, God has not given up on Nazareth. Nazareth still inspires even polio victims. Paul in Second in First Corinthians spends a whole chapter talking about how different is actually a blessing of God and makes us better. And then he goes into the 13th chapter. Different though, unity though, everything though without love. All our knowledge, all our wisdom, all our church going means nothing without love. Another early church father of Christendom said, in other words, Paul says, if I have no love, I'm not just useless, but a positive nuisance. I guess maybe for me, I have to get the questions right. Not who is right, who is wrong. Not who is exceptional, who is unexceptional. But today, today, where do I need forgiveness, healing, challenging, conviction, repentance, resurrection, hope, humility? Today, my friends, the Christ is with us. The altar is open. Thanks be to God. Amen.